Hey, for those of you who are joining online, welcome. My name is Levi, and I serve as the campus pastor here in Greece. Today, we are in part eight of our series called Faithful. We've been answering the question, how is it that we live a life of faith? And James has been answering that question over the last eight weeks. And if you're jumping in kind of midway through this series, I would just encourage you to go online across tunalliance.com, and we archive all of our sermons online, so you can go and get caught up. You can, instead of binging Netflix, you can kind of binge some sermons, if you will, and you can get caught up and follow along uh, from here on out. Before we get into uh, the text today, I want to ask you a question. Uh, Have you ever had a moment in life where you asked yourself, how did I get here? I'm asking myself that right now. (laughs) How did I get here? A couple months ago, Megan and I, uh, we took a trip to Ireland. It was a fantastic trip. Uh, really enjoyed it. It took a lot of planning, a lot of like itinerary and reservations and things like that. So this is what our plan was. We were going to fly into the Dublin airport, rent a car, and drive around the country. We thought that was a good idea at the time. Um, it ended up working out just fine. But there was a moment, especially early on, where we were just kind of disoriented. We found ourselves, I just want to show you a picture here. This is where we found ourselves on the first leg of the trip. So this is, a far, this is a ways away from Dublin. You can see there's a castle up on the hill. We were trying to get to the castle, but we were on this road. And this is like the type of road, it's a dirt road, grass down the middle. I think there's a wall here that's like a thousand years old or something like that. And it's just briar bushes. This is meant for two-way traffic, by the way. So here I am, 3,000 miles away from home driving on the left-hand side of this tiny road, on the right-hand side of the car, looking over at Megan going, how on earth did we get here? If, if this were to have some audio, you'd hear a lot of frustration <laughs> in my tone of voice as I'm talking to Megan trying to navigate this road. But here's the thing. It's not that I didn't know how we got here. I knew how we got there. We got there the same way we, where we get anywhere in life because I'm a millennial. I don't know where anything is. So how do we get anywhere? We use Google Maps, right? Can I get an amen? Anyone? I, yeah, I don't know where anything is. So the, the Google Maps tells me turn left, turn right. The destination is up there on your right. So it's not that I didn't know where I was. It's that the GPS took me to a place I didn't want to go. Has that ever happened to you? The GPS took me to a place I didn't expect and I didn't plan on going. But church, I got a question for you. How about in life? Have you ever ended up in a place where you never thought you'd be? Have you ever ended up in a place that you didn't want to go? See, the book of James talks about another guide for life. Not Google Maps, not Apple Maps. A different type of guide. A guide for life. And what James calls it is wisdom. And the wisdom in which we choose to follow is going to have deep implications for where we end up in life. All the little twists and turns along the way. There is a guide in our minds telling us where we should go. Lots of decisions, and they ultimately determine our destination. If I could say it this way, our decisions will determine our destination. And the guide that we're listening to is going to help us make those decisions. James talks about two types of guides for life. He talks about godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. 
If I could sum up my whole message for you, you want to aim at this one. All right, let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not done. <laughs> Godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. And here's, here's why this is so important. It's because we make so many decisions every single day. Research actually shows, I looked this up, the average person makes 35,000 decisions every single day. I don't know about you, but that sounds a little overwhelming to me. <laughs> like you're making decisions you don't even know about. But there's a guide in your mind that's, that's helping you make those decisions. And if we want to make good decisions in life, church, if we want to end up in the place we ultimately want to be, we've got to allow godly wisdom to inform our decisions. So, first thing that James talks about when he talks about wisdom is this. That wisdom is not merely intellectual assent, but it's a guide for life. Meaning, it's, it's not just what you think and what's on the inside of your mind. It's actually the way in which you live your life. Listen to what James says in chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The word that James uses for wise right there, is the same word that in other places in the Bible it's translated as, as skilled. So wisdom is more than just academics. It's more than just opening up the book and, and getting filling your head with knowledge. It's the practical outworking of that knowledge. It, it requires good conduct, and it requires some work. So it's not just that we have the right theology. It's not, right, it's not just that we have the right sociology or psychology or all the other ologies. Those are great. Ologies are great. But that's not the end-all, be-all to what is wisdom. Wisdom is a guide for life, and it affects where we end up. So, like I said, if wisdom is a guide for life, it has deep implications for where we're headed in life. So we're going to talk. We're going to take them kind of one at a time: earthly wisdom and then godly wisdom. So we're going to take earthly wisdom first. This is what it says: earthly wisdom comes from the devil. Does that sound harsh to you? I don't know if that sounds harsh. There's like a lot of earthly things that I would classify that like aren't like from the devil. But listen to what he says here in uh, in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual, and demonic. Isn't that interesting? He says it's it, like there's a kind of wisdom that's earthly, meaning on earth, around here, it's perceived as wisdom. It's elevated as wisdom. It's seen as the thing that's going to lead to where you want to go. But ultimately, it's actually devoid of God. It's, it's actually not what it appears to be. It, there's something that appears to be good on the outside, but on the inside, it's really not what it's cracked up to be. Notice that there's a progression here. It, it, you look at like the word earthly. So maybe you wouldn't think that being earthly is really all that bad, right? Earthly is not that bad, right? There's a lot of things that are earthly, not that bad. And then he goes unspiritual, and you're like, well... Maybe there's some things in my life that aren't spiritual, but they're not, like, evil. 
But then, it's so it just like progresses. And then, he, then he's, he's like not pulling any punches. He goes, it's demonic. The, the literal word in the Greek, it means of the devil. So this, there's a kind of wisdom that's of the devil. And if we know this, if it comes from the devil, it's a lie. If it comes from the devil, it's rooted in deceit. Listen to what um, Jesus says about the devil. And he says in, uh, it's going to be in John chapter 8. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You kind of noticing a trend here? If it comes from the devil, it's not rooted in the truth. It's actually a lie. It'll promise one thing, but it actually comes up embarrassingly short. So earthly wisdom, first and foremost, is of the devil. Secondly, earthly wisdom is selfish. Selfish. It's me-centered. Listen to verse 14. It says this, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That is the, the character traits of earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom says that if you want to get to where you want to go, you'll get there through selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy says this, I want more than what I've been given. Not only do I want more than what I've been given, I actually want what you've been given. I see the things that you have, and I think I should have them too. That's what bitter jealousy is, right? I see your Instagram feed. I see your Facebook feed. I see all the stuff you have. I see the new car. I see the new house. I see all the stuff that it kind of just, it's like a keeping up with the Joneses mentality, right? That's what earthly wisdom says. It says, I, I see what you have, I want what you have, and I think I should have what you have. That's bitter jealousy. So how do we get those things that we don't have? We keep working, we keep hustling, we keep climbing, and by any means necessary, we get what we don't have so that we'll finally be happy. So it's interesting that James here uses the word jealousy because in other parts of the Bible, jealousy is used to describe God. Do you know that? This is what it says in Exodus chapter 34, 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Isn't there some tension there? Like, how can, how can God be jealous and it's a good thing, and us be jealous and it's a bad thing? Here's why. It's good for God to be jealous because God is jealous for the things that already belong to him. What already belongs to God? Everything. Everything that was made was made for God. To give God glory and honor and praise and recognition. All things were created for God. So God is appropriately jealous for the things that already belong to him. But for us, it's different. When we're jealous, we're jealous for the things that don't belong to us. <laughs> right? They're not rightfully ours. Where we desire glory and fame and power and, and, and stuff that we don't currently have. That's why it's different. 
So bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, when we combine those two things together, you know what we get? We get a life that screams, we are the center of it all. The, the earth, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything in the world revolves around me. And my life's pursuit is to make me happy. After all, I am God. <laughs> That's earthly wisdom. I think, honestly, church, I think this is one of the most pervasive problems in the world around us. Right now for us is this, the endless pursuit of happiness. Right? Like, the, like when you think something is going to make you happy, so you do what you can to get that thing. And it might just be a lifestyle. It might not even be one thing. It might be just an ideal for life. This pursuit of happiness. You want to be happy. You want to feel better. You want to feel accomplished. You want to feel fulfilled in life. You want to actually be more than you actually are. And there's good news. The world has something for you. For $9.99 a month, you can buy it. But here's the thing, it never lasts. You ever notice that? It's like happiness isn't the problem. I, I, happiness is a good thing. You should want to be happy. I want you to be happy. I want to be happy. It's the pursuit of happiness because the pursuit of happiness doesn't actually lead to happiness. You know this is true. Like how many of you have seen a kid on Christmas Day? Right? That one thing that they wanted, the one thing that was going to make them ultimately happy in life yeah, you probably have a whole pile of those things in your, in your basement or in your junk drawer or in, your, you know, <laughs> in the tool chest that they don't want anything to do with anymore. That is the human condition. That is earthly wisdom. And don't think it's just kids. It's us too. This happened to me just a couple weeks ago. I put in uh, some, some things in my backyard. We built a swing set. It was really nice for Sayla. So she'd you know, play on the swings. Then we built a fence around the house you know, to keep the kids safe. And, and then, then we built like my version of a swing set, which is like a, a back deck. Right? We built the deck. And I remember building the deck thinking in my head, like, finally, I'm going to be happy in life. <laughs> finally, I'm going to be satisfied. Finally, I've reach this point. Like, and I could justify it too because I'm going to have people from church over on that deck. Right? I could justify it. I'm going to have spend so much time with God out on that deck. I'm going to do my devotions. I'm going to exercise hospitality. Um, but here's the thing. I sat on the deck and it wasn't like a day before I realized the deck was empty and it didn't have any patio furniture. Not only did it have any patio furniture, but if I was going to have people over on the deck, I needed a new grill. And if I need a new grill, like, and we're going to have people over, like, we needed some landscaping around the deck. And, it, like, it wasn't long before I realized that getting the thing that I wanted actually led to more desire for more stuff. You know this is true, church. Getting what you want, the pursuit of happiness, always leads to more desire. So earthly wisdom is selfish. It's me-centered. I'm the center of the universe, and it's my responsibility to make me happy. And lastly, earthly wisdom, where does it lead? You, you want to know where it leads? It leads to disorder. It leads to chaos. It leads to instability. 
The, the, let's go to the verse here. Um, let's go to the verse, John. It says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This word disorder comes from the same root word found in chapter 1 where it says a doubting man is unstable in all of his ways. Like he's driven and tossed by the wind and the waves of life. Going over here and then going over there and going over there and going over there. Have you ever had a GPS that didn't know where you were? Yeah, someone, yeah you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, like everyone, anyone ever driven through Washington, D.C.? Like, like he just doesn't know where you are. And what, when it, what happens when it doesn't know where you are, you know what that, that word, it keeps repeating? Recalculating, rerouting, recalculating, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Like it just, it just goes berserk. And that's what earthly wisdom, that's where it gets you. It keeps moving the goalpost, right? You, you think, oh, happiness is over here, so I'm going to go over there. And once I get it, I find that I'm still empty inside. And then I go over here. I find that it's still empty inside. And then you go over here, and it just keeps on. You're being driven and tossed by the wind and the waves of life. That is the endless pursuit of happiness. But church, there's a better way. There's a, there is a better way to live your life. You don't need to live in restless anxiety, overwhelming fear. You, we don't need to live with these, these sense of burdens in our life. We don't. There's a better way, and that better way is to allow godly wisdom to lead our life. So let's talk about godly wisdom, okay? Godly wisdom comes from God. That's why I get paid the big bucks right there, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that needs to be said or not, right? Like godly wisdom comes from God. I think it needs to be said, though, right? And here's why it needs to be said. We need to acknowledge where real wisdom comes from. Like, we don't make it up. We don't manufacture it. We don't allow our internal compass to guide us to places we don't want to be. God is the one who establishes wisdom. Let's, let's look at the verse here. It says in Proverbs 8, and 23, the, this is speaking as if wisdom were personified, okay? This is the voice of wisdom. This is what it says of itself. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. Next verse says, I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. Wisdom's been around for a long, long time. God has intricately woven and threaded wisdom into the fabric of creation. So just as sure as we can count on gravity, what comes up must come down, and God is holding everything together, we can trust that wisdom is threaded into creation as well. And it's a way that leads to life. You know, because God is the creator of the world, he's the one who gets to say how it works best. Like, we don't get to determine that on our own. Does that make sense? Like, 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 if I were to take a watch, and like a really expensive watch, not this watch, this isn't a really expensive watch, but if I were to take a really expensive watch, take the back off of it, right? And I look at all the gears in there, and, I look, and I'm like, man, that doesn't look right. I'm just going to 
twist that over here. I'm going to move. I'm going to take, all right, I'm going to empty it all out and just kind of reorient everything in this watch. I should, when I put this back together, I should not expect for it to work probably ever again. Why? Because I'm not a watchmaker. I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't make it. Therefore, I can't determine how it works best. Look, church, God created the world to function in a very specific way. And he's the one, because he's the creator, who gets to determine how life works best. This has some really practical implications for our life. Like when, when the Bible says that, that marriage is between one man and one woman for life in a committed relationship, we're going to submit to that wisdom. We're going to say, all right, God, that leads to life. That is a good thing. When the Bible says that, that all life is precious, from the womb to the tomb, all life is precious regardless of skin color and socioeconomic background. We're going to let that guide the way in which we live our life. And when the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, when the Bible says those are the two most important things you can do with your life, we're going to allow that godly wisdom to penetrate our heart, and and we're going to get on board with what wisdom has threaded into the fabric of creation. We're going to trust God that that is the best way in which to live our lives. Amen. So, godly wisdom, first and foremost, comes from God. We got that established. Secondly, godly wisdom doesn't promote itself. Here's what I mean. In verse 13, it says this, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the, and it uses this phrase, meekness of wisdom. You guys know what meekness is? Right? Like not to be confused with weakness. Meekness is not weakness. It's not, it's not being a doormat for someone to trample all over. It's not necessarily uh, uh, you know, having no spine and not being proactive in, in life. It, uh, this is what meekness is. Meekness comes not from cowardice or passivity, but from trusting God and being set free from self-promotion. Set free from keeping up appearances. Set free from keeping up with the Joneses. Set free from keeping up with your Instagram feed. Set free from, 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 from having to be your own marketing manager. Appearing more than we actually are. That's what meekness is. Where we trust God to be God. Remember, we said that earthly wisdom is selfish, but godly wisdom is the opposite. Earthly wisdom puts us at the center of the, of the universe, but godly wisdom rightfully puts God at the center of the universe, not us. And church, that's good news. That is a weight lifted off of our shoulders. That we are not the creator. We, do, we don't get to determine how life goes. And we're not, like our job isn't to make us happy. God is at the center of the universe, not us. I like how the Westminster Catechism puts it. What's our overall purpose in life? What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Godly wisdom is all about putting God where God belongs. 
trusting God to be God and for us to be us and not confusing the two. So godly wisdom has some implications for how we go about getting to where we want to go. It's not going to be like earthly wisdom where we hustle and climb and, and just climb our way to the top. That's, that's, not, that's not how godly wisdom works. Godly wisdom flips it upside down. The, you want to go up in life? You got to go down. You want to be first in life? Set yourself up to be last. You want to be a leader? Start by serving. It flips the script. You don't need to climb and trample and go over people. You serve and you love. This is uh, how he characterizes it in verse 17. He says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Let's stop there. Pure. What that literally means is that you are free from ulterior motives. Like you don't have an agenda when it comes to getting the things and like being where you want to be in life. You don't have this, you're not manipulating people. This has really big implications for how we go about our relationships. See, then it says then peaceable and gentle. These are all relational things. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You know what this really means? It means that people matter. And we don't trample over people to get what we want. We, we don't use people as a means to an end. That's what that means. We're not being selfish. It's not all about me. It's, it, we're going to open our eyes to see the other people in our lives, and we're going to serve them well. We're going to be full of mercy and gentle and peaceable. Ultimately, it's wisdom to pursue peace, to make peace, to be, as Jesus calls it, to be a peacemaker. Uh, verse 18, it says this, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So you want, you want a harvest of righteousness, it's sown in peace. That's what you put into it. So we're going to be people who pursue Peace. We're not going to promote ourselves. We're going to, we're going to pursue peace. And then lastly, where does godly wisdom lead? If, if earthly wisdom leads to chaos and disorder and confusion, godly wisdom leads to peace. Godly wisdom leads to peace. Listen to how Proverbs, uh, I think it's chapter... Three says it. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Godly wisdom leads us to a place of peace. We don't need to be crippled with fear and anxiety. We don't need to live a life of accumulation, trying to chase after happiness, which is so fleeting, being driven by the wind and the waves of life. You know, you know why the wisdom of the world is, is so dangerous, especially for a Christian? It's because when our lives are aimed at happiness... There is no category for pain 
and suffering and trial and hard times and testing. See, when our life's pursuit is to make us happy, we will avoid pain at all costs and will only pursue that which gives us pleasure. So there's no category for suffering. There's no category for pain. There's no category for difficulty in relationships. But godly wisdom says, you know what? Even when you experience tough things, even when you experience pain, you will have peace in the midst of those things. And not only will you have peace, but godly wisdom has a category for it. We've already talked about it in James chapter 1. He says, says, sometimes God allows these trials. And, and, And you know what you should do with trials? You should consider them joy. For the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness or patience. That you'd be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes the hard things that God allows into our lives are meant for our good and for his glory. That's what godly wisdom gets us. A sense of peace in the midst of trouble. You know, James is writing this letter to the church. And if you're here today and you've put your faith and your trust, your hope in Jesus as your Savior, this letter is written to you. This letter is written so that you'd put your faith to work. So that what you read on the page, you'd actually live it out with your life. And you'd allow like the godly wisdom of life to to permeate and allow it to guide the decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis. But I know that not everyone here is a Christian, and I get that. You might be coming here and you're just kicking the tires of church. Maybe you were drug here. Maybe you were asking the question, what on earth am I doing here? And I get that, and I appreciate that, and, and I want you to know that you are welcome here. You're welcome to struggle with issues of faith, and, and you're, you're welcome to, to be skeptical of issues of faith, and, and you're, you're just, just welcome to be exactly where you are. But I don't want you to miss this. If that's you today, I don't want you to miss this. Godly wisdom isn't about making 35,000 decisions the right way. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, you're just not going to be able to. And I bet if you were to look at the rear view of your life, you'd see some decisions where you didn't operate in wisdom. And it ended up getting you to a place of chaos. I know I can. And the Bible speaks about that. It says, like, no one's perfect. Everyone has wandered off. Everyone has gone astray. Everyone has, has, has not utilized godly wisdom. The Bible calls it sin. Everyone's screwed up. Everyone has messed up. Everyone has fallen short of the perfection of God. Except one person. Jesus Christ. 35,000 decisions. Perfect. Every single time. Lived the life that we couldn't. So, I want you to know that the beginning of wisdom, if you were to take a next step today, the beginning of wisdom isn't to make 35,000 decisions the right way. It's to make one decision. It's to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jewish people, Christ 
the power of God and the wisdom of God. You want to sum up the wisdom of God? You want to sum up godly wisdom? It's found in a person, and it's Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, we fall embarrassingly short of making 35,000 decisions the right way all the time. The Bible says for the wages of sin, what you earn for the sin, for, for, for coming up short, is death. Eternal separation from God. But he also says this, that the gift of God is eternal life. In who? In, in Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ. That if we were to put our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus, we would have true eternal life. And I would I'd love to give everyone an opportunity to make that decision today if you haven't had that chance yet. If you want one next step, it's just, it's just not going to be making all the decisions the right way. But it's putting our faith in the one who is perfect, who came to this earth to die the death that we deserved. Because of him, we can have forgiveness and life with him. So I want to lead us all in a prayer, and you can pray this prayer with me, and if, Maybe this is the first time you're praying this prayer. And it's not that the words are mystical or magical or anything, but it's the faith behind the prayer that saves us and gives us eternal life. So I want to invite everyone to bow our heads, close our eyes, and repeat this prayer after me if you're led to. Lord, I know that I have fallen short, and I have not always used wisdom. God, I've fallen short of your perfect and glorious standard. So I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you came to earth, that you lived a perfect life, and you died the death in my place. Come and be Savior of my life. And Lord, I invite you to also be Lord of my life as well. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to welcome you into the church and into the family of God, and we're so excited for you. If you would do us a favor and share that with us, we would, we would really appreciate it. The way that we do that is through the connection card. You just fill that card out with your contact information, and on the back of that card is a little box that says, I want to become a Christian for the first time today. If you would check that box and give it to a greeter, we'll make sure that it goes to the right place. It's actually going to go to me, and I'm going to touch base with you, follow up with you, see if you have any questions about the Bible, about Jesus, about faith, about the church. And I'm going to help you along and give you some next step in your, in your journey of faith for those of you who have already made that decision, I know that there's many of you here right now who already call Jesus Savior and Lord. And, and you want to put, put action to the faith. You want to put work to the faith. I've got two next steps for you, and they're, they're pretty simple, pretty easy. Uh, they're not easy. They're simple. The first one is this, that you would um, disconnect from the world. Thanks, John. Disconnect from the the world. You want to withdraw from worldly wisdom? You want to be able to identify it and call it what it is? Sometimes you got to back away to get some perspective, don't you? 
Like, don't you got to kind of like zoom out a little bit and get, like, just kind of see the inputs in your life for what they really are. So just like an unplugging from the, the voices in your life that, that just aren't good. Like, I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe social media is one of those things. Maybe you just need to take a break from social media. You need to take a break from, uh, like, Instagram or Facebook. And it's just, you know, like, it's just, it's just not good. It's full of that earthly wisdom that, that, that makes you discontent. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's news programs. How about you? Maybe some of you, like, just really love watching the news, and it's just full of just junk on there. Maybe it's, maybe it's Netflix. Maybe you're binging on Netflix or whatever, you know, whatever you watch. I don't know. But just take some time to unplug, step back, and zoom out so that you can be able to hear from God. So disconnect from the world. And then secondly, we want to use that time to connect with God. I would encourage you with a few different ways you can do that. One is just opening up your Bible and reading it, having a, like a daily uh, ritual, of, uh, a daily rhythm of opening up the Word and reading it, a daily rhythm of praying to God, and, and then maybe even just a weekly rhythm of just taking a day off from the work and the grind and the hustle of life. Take a day off. Spend that time resting. Maybe, maybe weave in some prayer, some worship, time in the Word, maybe journal or something like that. Just take some time away to connect with God. We're in a really cool season in our church right now where we are designing a, a season just for this, for, for disconnecting from the world and connecting with God, and it's this. We're going to be doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting. This is a, a time in our church that we do this in August to kind of prepare for the fall season of ministry. Fall season of ministry is really busy we got a lot of stuff to do. we got programs and outreaches and small groups that kick off. And, uh, and, and it's not just church. Like, the school year starts in the fall. Like, there's just a, like, we just kind of get back into the swing of things in the fall, don't we? So we want to take, we want to take that first part right before the fall starts, and we want to make prayer a priority. That's what we want to do. We want to spend some time withdrawing from some of those voices in the world and connecting with God. So we're going to do that. We're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so I want to give you maybe just some helpful tools in which you can help engage with this. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, we have prayer guides out in the Welcome Center for everyone. Um, and, and every day, it's, it's just got something that you can pray for. Uh, something It kind of follows the model of our, the vision for our church to lead people to discover, develop, and display full devotion to Jesus. And so we, we kind of crafted it in that way. So three things, three weeks, and you're just going to, just a daily prayer. Uh, if you want, you can actually just get those uh, on a notification in the Crosstown app on your phone. They'll just come to you every single day, and they'll just kind of be a little reminder like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to commit to pray for these 21 days. But it's not just about the, the prayer. It's also about fasting. And I know we don't talk about that a whole lot. We don't do that a whole lot in the church. But, but we take some time to, to, to kind of go without something for a season. And like it could be one of the things that I mentioned before. It could be Facebook or Instagram. It could be uh, Netflix or news or, or something like that. But it, could be, it, could, it can be food. Fasting is, is actually supposed to be for, from food. So you might say, I'm going to fast breakfast and lunch for 21 days. You could do that. You could say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast on Friday all day. So for three weeks, just three times, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. Um, and here's the, here's the concept behind fasting. that We want to fast from the things that we crave, the things that like, we, we just can't go without, 
You know, for some people, it, it might be food. For other people, and maybe it's ice cream, sweets, coffee. I did. I said it. I said coffee, yeah. For some other people, it might be, uh, it might be alcohol. For others, it might be some type of substance that you just can't go without. Whatever it is, I would challenge you to, to, to give it up for 21 days and allow that to build in a hunger for, for the thing that your soul needs the most. Right? So you fast so that you can feast on the thing in which your soul craves the most. I would encourage you to be involved with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to get started tonight. We're going to kick it off with the worship night. Uh, we're going to have uh, music and, and, and time of prayer and worship right out back. We're having a fire. I know it's going to be a little hot, a little warm. You can step back from the fire. That's okay. Uh, but we're meeting right out there tonight at 7 o'clock and, uh, just for a time for prayer and worship. And then every Wednesday night right here at the campus at 6 o'clock, we are doing um, just meeting for prayer. So for the next three weeks, we're doing prayer meeting. Some people might call that the old-fashioned way of doing it, and, and I, I think it's a good, it's an oldie but a goodie. So we're going to get and do, and do uh, prayer on Wednesday nights for the next three weeks. So those are just a few ways in which you can engage with the 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to invite the worship teams to come on forward, and we're going to close in prayer. God, we thank you that you are the one who satisfies our soul. God, you, we don't need to chase after that which makes our soul happy, but Lord, we can find our ultimate peace in you. And God, it's a, it's a sense of peace that goes beyond understanding. That when, when life happens, when stuff happens, when, when, when trouble comes our way and trial and testing and, and, and grief and loss, like we don't need to be driven and away from you, Lord. We can rest in you. Lord, I pray for our church over this next 21 days that, that the same thing would be said of them as was said of the early apostles, that, that they may not have been skilled, but they had been with Jesus. That these people actually encountered Jesus on a personal level. So that, that's what I pray for everyone that engages with these next 21 days of prayer and fasting, Lord, that you would meet them where they're at, And you show up in a personal way. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.